better or worse, the relationship between science, film, and media has long been intertwined. We're here to dissect that relationship, turning it inside out for all to see. And throughout the years, one truth has revealed itself. You don't need good science to make a good movie. But it sure makes it better. Hi everyone and welcome to The Real Science Podcast, the podcast where three highly qualified professionals pick a movie and then pick apart the science. My name's Kenan Smith. My name is Sean Crossan. I'm Paul Giamatti. Happy Mayful was... Hold on, what? <laughs> Hold on, pay, Paul. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi. I love your so work. Thanks, thanks for it's coming so on. It's so great to be here. I was, I was looking around the lake the other day and there was this lady mm-hmm. and she was in the water. Okay. And then, and then my bicep just got huge and I couldn't understand why. Can you guys explain that to me? Uh, 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 Paul, Paul, the last movie I saw you in was Big Fat Liar starring Frankie mm-hmm. Muniz. So I, mm-hmm. I don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm not mm-hmm. really getting your reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, That was a lady in the water reference. I just don't fucking remember what the bicep thing was. <laughs> oh, okay, that's fair. You guys forgot about the bicep? Yeah, sorry. I forgot about all of Lady in the Water because it's a terrible fucking movie. <laughs> I can't tell you why I saw it, but there was this one guy in the film, uh, and he only worked out one of his arms throughout the entire film. Uh, like, he was just doing curls with one arm, and I can't remember why. He just had one big, but, chunky bicep. Yeah, and um, turns out he was, like, the bane to the antagonist in the film. It was very dumb. Well, that is great to hear from you, Paul, but do you think you could... Is Pace there with you? Could we put Pace on the show, maybe? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Get the fuck out of here, Paul. Damn it, Paul. <laughs> All right, Pace, it's good to have you back. Pace, what is Paul Giamatti doing in your house? I mean, he like he's trying to get me um, for his next Hold film. on, one more specific question. What is Paul Giamatti doing in your closet? <laughs> Ken and I'm, I'm always in the closet. I know, dude. I know. Okay. With Paul. Right. <laughs> yeah, Paul's here sometimes. Uh, sometimes. Like, Someday sometimes you'll be able to look back on your life and tell your kids about the day you came out of the closet. With Paul with Giamatti. Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti. <laughs> yeah, yes. with uh-huh. Paul. Yeah. Hand in hand. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. your hit movie about your, you know, realizing things about your sexuality called My Paul Life with Pace. Paul. Oh, My Paul Life Pace with Paul. Paul Pace. Okay. My Closet with Paul. <laughs> my Closet with Paul. Life with Life with Paul. Closeted. Life with Paul. Yeah, yeah. That's what it'll be called. Trapped in the Closet, colon, Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti. The Paul Giamatti story. The the Paul Giamatti story, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Pace, anyways, I'm glad that you're here instead of Paul Giamatti. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, me too. Paul's kind of an ass. Whoa. Wow. So, Whoa. Uh, Paul, he didn't mean that. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, uh, what I was going to say before Paul was here was happy Maple, Maple Leaf Day, guys. Um, last... <laughs> is today happy? Is today Maple Leaf Day? Yeah, the last Wednesday in September is Maple Leaf Day in Canada. Does um, is that to signify the end of all good weather and the beginning of the frozen hellscape? Yes, I think that's probably it. We could probably ask our Canadian friends if that re- that's right. Uh, write us at realsciencecast at gmail and tell us if that's <laughs> if it's because <laughs> your entire country turns into a frozen hellscape after September. <laughs> Maybe it's just about the hockey team. <laughs> I mean, it could be. But be. that would be not a national holiday because I feel like I don't know, dude. It's Canada. It yeah, but Canada. they don't have like one like the Maple Leafs are not like the hockey team in Canada. There are mm-hmm. multiple hockey teams. I mean, sure, sure. The last full week in September is National Forest Week, so they might have something to do with it. It's just everything's tree themed. Okay, 
I mean, that makes yeah. sense. They cool. do have a leaf on their flag. Now in oh, Florida, God. it's Freedom Week. Oh my God. Every week is, is it Freedom every, Week yeah. in Florida. <laughs> like, is it every week Freedom Week? People do what they want. Great. Fuck. Kenneth, I'm going to take your computer away from it. you. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking your computer away. This is all I have. So anyway, guys, uh, what you might have guessed from our last 10 minutes is that we're a podcast where we watch movies and we talk about the science in those movies. Uh, and uh, before we get into what movie we watched, I think the authors have some disclosures. Ready we do. Go? We have some very, very important disclaimers, and that is some are, sp- which sp- are specific to the movie that we watched for today. Number one, Number one. we are not astrophysicists. <laughs> Says you. We are bi- we are biologists. Kenan's not an astrophysicist, no matter what he says. And so you should not take anything that we say in regards to space travel or astrophysics as the opinion of an expert. We are not astrophysicists. Yeah. We are biologists. <laughs> don't try this at home, guys. Yeah, don't try don't. this at home. <laughs> um, also, we're, we're gonna get real deep into some astrophysics, and it is gonna be really dangerous. So just mm, make sure is. that you know, leave us a lifeline. Don't do this at home. We're doing the dirty work for you. Always get trapped behind a bookcase in the fifth dimension in the presence of a uh, professional. Uh, spo- uh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> the movie that we watched today for today was Interstellar. That's correct. Um, and for those who at, we're, we're going to talk about some of the scientific aspects of the film that we feel comfortable talking about. But if you want more, there is a very, very good book. Uh, called The Science of Interstellar. It's written by Kip Thorne, who is a physicist from Caltech who served as the film's science advisor. You can find this book on Amazon uh, if you want to actually... And, and, and the book is written for, you know, the educated layman, so you can get a good idea of the science that goes in the film if you want to learn more than what we're just going to talk about. Um, yeah, but fuck that. Listen to us instead. We're definitely yeah, more entertaining, but I mean, we're right? Gonna, we're gonna talk, we're gonna yell at you, and that book's just gonna like quietly whisper at you. Yes, true. So true. like, listen to our yells first, oh, and then also, you can go to the book. Another disclaimer is that we do curse on this podcast. I'm yeah, assuming if you've it. listened before, you know that. But shitload yes, of fuck yeah. words. Wow, come on, you dick. Okay, all right. Whoa, <laughs> all right. That's enough. All that's right. enough. Okay, we're gonna stop. Um, so what next thing we're gonna do is we're gonna figure out which of our lovely lovely cast is going to give you a summary of the film that is correct and how do we do that sean so what we've started doing is we roll a d20 this is a 20-sided dice uh if we land on a 20 then you don't have to do the plot summary if you land on a one you have to do the plot summary and otherwise it's just the uh highest roll has to go all right sean i hope you're fucking ready because pace doesn't have to go this week Yes, this time Pace did the plot summary last time, so this time it's me versus Kenan, and I have an uh, Eldritch Moon Magic the Gathering spin mm. down dice with me. Stop so, using spin down counters. Uh, that's fine. They're not. They're, whatever. They're fine. They're fine. Well, I'm giving it a real high drop. Okay. The icosahedron is my favorite of the platonic solids, so I hope wow. you're ready for me to wreck you. That was some nerd shit right there. Let's do this. That's what we do. All right. I also have a glass desk, so this is going to be sonically unpleasing. Uh, hey, Kenan. What's up? That's a nat 20. Oh. Damn. Damn. Wabam. Well, that's called. That fucking sucks because I rolled crit. the best possible roll to not go. What'd you roll? You 19, I rolled a two. You? Oh, sorry, two. Oh, yeah. yeah, you're right. Well, sorry, Kenan, but I got a nat 20, so. Oh, why don't I'm you sorry. Tell me? I, I missed the zero. I also rolled a nat 20. Weird. Oh. Okay, well, how about this? Since I rolled it first, why don't you. Tell me the plot of Interstellar. Yeah. In 
a short span of time. I thought you were going to say, like, in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you can do it, I mean... I don't know any Spanish Let's push the sap button on this inter- uh, this episode. I'm sorry, I don't get that reference. The, the sap button? It used to be on, like, the, you know, the, remotes, the, the sub- you know, the subtitle. like, turn your okay. TV to Spanish. And... Yep. Uh, so... <laughs> did, you just, did you not live in the 90s? I don't, like... Uh, so, basically, this movie, Interstellar takes place in a sort of pseudo-post-apocalyptic future, right? So the idea is that sometime in the late 21st century, Earth's food supply is running out. Um, apparently, the government governments of the world have already sort of fought about this, and everything is leveled out. And as we find out when our main character, Cooper, played by our boy, Maddie Mac, goes into his daughter's school, everyone is kind of downplaying science and up playing agriculture in an effort to try and get everyone better at growing crops. Everyone's becoming farmers because nobody wants to die. Um, we find out throughout the progress of the movie that everyone is going to die anyway, and they're going to die eating corn because that is the only thing that will grow anymore. <laughs> they're going to die with an ear of corn in their hand. <laughs> yeah, just fucking in their hands. Popcorn, gripping and sipping. That's all they're going to have. <laughs> We get exposed to Cooper's family early on, which includes him, his grandfather, played by Sean's favorite actor. Well, it's his, it's, he's Cooper's father-in-law, right? Yeah, it, it's correct. It's Cooper's John father-in-law. John Lithgow, star of Harry and, Harry the, and the Hendersons, which is a great movie. I love yeah. that movie. A movie about was, the love between a man and Bigfoot. If there was <laughs> a shred of science in Harry and the Hendersons, you better believe we would oh, yeah. be doing it on this show, oh, yeah. for we, sure. We would watch it in a heartbeat. John Lithgow is grandpa number one. You know, I bet we could watch Harry and the Hendersons and make an argument for evolution. We could talk about that. Oh, God, I love that movie. All it's right, so all right. Good. Don't get me down a hairy hole. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Maddie Mac lives with uh, John Lithgow, his father-in-law, his daughter, and his son. His daughter is basically Arya Stark, and his son is ready to be a farmer. Their mother died of a brain cyst, which wasn't found because basically all of the technology on the planet, as far as we know, is nearly non-existent because of all the problems that people have been having. So the idea is that MRIs didn't exist because they're quote-unquote wasteful. There's a lot of setup involved that tells us that Cooper was a pilot uh, and also an engineer specifically for NASA. He was meant to fly on a mission to try and get off space, or sorry, get off the Earth um, once it was found out that like our food supplies were basically uh, dwindling. Whenever we pick up with the story... Uh, his daughter, Murph, has been seeing something that she thinks is a ghost in her bedroom. All these books are falling off her shelf. There's all sorts of silly shit happening, basically. And Cooper, uh, her dad, writes it off completely. They eventually find out that dust that is falling in front of this bookshelf is following gravity and forming these little piles that spell out a binary code, which are a latitude and longitude. And what, is, what does that binary code say, Kenan? What does it say? What does it say? It says, take me to your leader. No. I'm just <laughs> It's 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 a bunch of zeros and ones. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's MapQuest instructions. Yeah. So they drive out to wherever this place is, and they find NASA. Doctor uh, Professor John Brand, played by um, Michael Kane. Michael Kane. Uh, his, <laughs> his daughter, uh, Doctor Amelia Brand, played by Anne Hathaway, uh, are all there, and they basically explain, "Hey, we're NASA, and we're trying to get off the planet." And oh, it's crazy that you found us. Oh, you think aliens sent you? 
crazy. We think aliens places wormhole just outside of Earth so that we can send people through it and find habitable planets. Hey, Cooper, while you're here, can you please pilot the spaceship that we were just about to launch so that we can get off this planet, go through the wormhole, and check on all the astronauts that we sent through there 10 years ago that haven't reported back? And Cooper's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like, hey, no Which problem. Which is bonkers. It's so bonkers. It's yeah. kind of crazy. You don't just like uproot your... I know he's kind of been depressed about the state of his life and how he's a farmer and how we should be doing things that are more innovative, but he just like ups his family and Well, and he, he is very pessimistic. Like he thinks that, you know, the next generation, like his kids are going to be the last generation on Earth. Yeah. So he's sort of like... They play it off in the movie that he sort of sees this as, like, the only opportunity for him to help make a difference and try and, like, get his kids off this planet to a new planet. That's, like, what his motivations are. But he also just really wants to fucking do something besides farm. Yeah, he hates it. I mean, he's happy for his son because his son wants to farm. Uh, His daughter does not, and he wants his daughter to be an engineer or something or follow in his footsteps. And we basically find out that the school is like rewriting textbooks saying that the Apollo missions were faked and they were intended to like send the Soviet Union into a frenzy so they would bankrupt themselves trying to get to the moon. And I assume it follows the same like fucking conspiracy theories that um that real live people actually think happen yes yeah real live people actually think that that stanley kubrick directed the fucking moon landing in a soundstage in hollywood so that's basically where society is at this point yeah so so he says sure uh i'll leave i mean it doesn't go down as easily as that his daughter's upset his son gets it his father-in-law says some cryptic things and says i miss harry um, he says, <laughs> if Harry were "Just here. get out of here, you damned!" <laughs> oh, yeah, God, he's thirty-eight. Yeah, <laughs> that's what he says. <laughs> so either way, he agrees to pilot this thing, and basically, Michael Caine and Anne Hathaway explain to him that they think some mysterious off-world species has placed this wormhole out by Saturn, because wormhole wormholes are not naturally occurring phenomena. So they think it's been put there. And 10 years ago, they sent a series of astronauts on missions known as the Lazarus missions to go through, find a series of habitable planets, and send back notification on whether or not they've made it, they're going to survive, and to come to the planet or don't come to the planet. Uh, And they basically say they've narrowed it down to a single system with three planets. Yeah, and the idea is that the astronauts will sit on their planet in cryosleep. And then if their planet's chosen, then the next crew will come and wake them up and then they'll start, you know, doing whatever with that planet. Then the other ones are just destined to die on that planet. So basically, Professor Brand explains to Maddie Mac that they have two plans. Plan A is to and this made me so mad because it's so vacuous, but to solve gravity. Yeah, right. Yes. Big equation that he has on a a series of whiteboards like for the entire movie. Um, and use it to transport everyone on Earth off of the planet uh, by using a massive space station, basically, to take them to this new planet. If you can't do that, then they will use Plan B. And so they're taking a shitload of uh, pre-fertilized embryos with them. They're going to use, uh, I guess, what did you say? They would use um, surrogates surrogates, yeah, yeah, in order to repopulate whatever planet this is. Um, And they have all the embryos saved in quote-unquote cryostasis, Um, which when they pulled it out, actually looked cold for once so yeah we'll get to the rest of that later yes 
Because I got some fucking gripes and groans about plan B. Uh, so Cooper decides to leave. When he goes, his daughter says, uh, no, it's not binary. It's Morse code. And it says stay. Uh, Murph is upset. Won't talk to him. Uh, everybody leaves. They leave with their like robot sidekicks, Case and Tars, which are these basically refrigerators with legs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That's exactly what they are. They're fucking They're very good. sassy, though. They They're are. very sassy. They have... Basically, three planets are going to go to where there's three different astronauts, Miller, Edmonds, and Mann. Uh, they choose to go to Miller's planet first, which is where, like, the majority of our action takes place because it is a planet orbiting a giant black hole uh, named Gargantua. Gargantua. Yep. There's a lot of plot sort of baked into this idea that a single hour on that planet equals more than seven years on the space, space station and everywhere back on Earth uh, due to time dilation within yes. Gargantua's huge gravitational pull. We're going to talk about that. We're definitely going to talk about it. Uh, Cooper, Brandon Doyle uh, visit the planet. They see a giant, a bunch of giant fucking waves, which anybody who's even heard of this movie has definitely seen that scene or know about it. Um, they find out that uh, Miller has died, basically, on the planet, and all that's left was their, um, their beacon. Uh, Doyle dies, who was played by the guy, I don't remember his name, but he's played by the guy who was the master of ceremonies for the Hunger Games movies. Oh my yes. god, yeah, that guy. I don't know his yeah. name. <laughs> I, I don't remember the hold actor's on, name. On, I should look it up. On, I got you, I got you, I got you, I got you. I'm vamping, I'm vamping. This is vamping. What's his name? You're vaping? I'm, You're I'm vaping, vaping right now? Vaping. Doyle, Wes Bentley. Wes Bentley. Thank you very much for your service, Wes Bentley. Thanks, Wes. So Wes dies. Uh, they go back to the Endurance, which is the name of their ship, and Romilly, the guy who, who was left behind, has been waiting there for 23 years. So already, Cooper 23 knows... 23 years. You're right. Already, Cooper knows that he's been, you know, they've been gone forever and his daughter's much older. Cooper goes back and he watches a bunch of messages from his son, who's like, hey, what's up, dad? Um, I have a regular life. Anyway, you're probably dead. Bye. Uh, and then his daughter sends him a message that's like, hey, you told me you'd be back and we'd be the same age and it's my birthday and I'm the same age that you were when you left. So, fuck you. And then that's it. Hey, guys. Michael Caine is 85. Holy shit. He's an yeah. old dude. He He's looks great. Dude. Interstellar is four years old. So he was yeah. 80. He was 81. That's fucking insane. I can yeah. only assume that he made the same pact that like Sean Connery did with the Illuminati in order uh, to just live for fucking ever. I guess, man. Anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to derail that, but I was no, looking up getting... the IMDb page and I was like, holy shit. 1933? Like, wait, 75. No. 85 yeah 19 okay stop. 19 uh so either way we find out that murph has been working with dr brand in order to try and solve this quote-unquote gravitational equation um i'm gonna go ahead and just spoil it that when uh dr brand or professor brand dies he's like oh we made it all up the gravitational equation doesn't isn't going to work we've been gonna do plan b all along sorry earth and then he dies uh yeah leaving you out in the cold yeah we find out that uh, the Endurance doesn't have enough fuel in order to check the remaining planets um, and get back to Earth, so they have to pick one. They choose Man's planet because Man, Dr. Man, played by... Matt Damon? Yeah. Matt? Matt? Matt Damon. Yep. The Martian himself uh, was, quote-unquote, the best of us, and he's saying, yeah, come back. It's totally fine. Uh, fast forward, Matt Damon betrays them, wanted to get off the planet, uh, is a huge asshole, tries to kill Maddie Mac. Um, Romilly dies because the robot that 
Matt Damon destroyed to cover up the evidence explodes and on their way back to the ship Matt Damon ruins a portion of the endurance while Maddie Mac and Anne Hathaway are trying to go after him yep uh, Matt Damon dies and then we get a really great scene where Anne Hathaway and Maddie Mac are docking with the space station and they say the word docking like 400 times we're docking. And I was giggling a lot. And Sean's making the docking motion on Hangouts. Yep, now Pace is doing it. Basically, they decide, okay, we're going to go to the last planet. We're going to make it. It's going to be fine. They say, Matt Damon goes, sorry, Maddie Max says, we're going to slingshot around Gargantua, go to the other planet, but we have to fire one of our refrigerator friends out of the craft. They say, okay. They do it. And then Maddie Mac goes, surprise, I'm also going to leave. You can make it. Bye. And Anne Hathaway flies off into the distance. Maddie Mac enters the black hole, enters the fifth dimension. We find out that he has been sending these ghost messages to his daughter the entire time. Whoa! And and that the fifth dimension is love. Yes. Sounds real to me. The robot that enters the black (laughs) hole with him says, oh, no, they made the space for you. There's a bunch of bookcases, and they represent infinite points in time. You can talk to your daughter. And Maddie Max like, they didn't choose me. It's not aliens. It's us. They sent me a message so that I could send her a message and explain gravity to her, and then they can get everyone off the planet. I will use Morse code on this watch and encode, I guess, billions of... The gravity equation. Yeah, a fuckload of data? Yeah, I don't even understand. Watch. That doesn't make any sense. Well, but, specifically, it's it's the aspect of gravity that can only be understood from inside a black hole. I fucking yes, that's it's the sure. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. To- it makes perfect sense. Space makes yeah, perfect, sense. perfect. The sense. robot gather all the data. He translates it to Morse code. He turns that into ticks on a watch, and then uh, she solves the problem. He passes out as the tesseract that he's inside, which is a. Uh, geometric representation of the fifth dimension is what a tesseract is uh collapses he wakes up on this mystical new space station that his daughter has helped build she's an old lady she tells him that anne hathaway made it to that planet she's basically still the same age because they both experience time dilation and he's like i'm a cowboy i gotta ride and then he flies off into the sunset with his refrigerator buddy to save anne hathaway and that's the movie yeah (laughs) i made it sound like i didn't like it but i enjoyed it it's it's a, well, it is we'll, a very we'll, good we'll, movie. We'll get to that. We'll get to that at the end. All right. All so right. what part of this Buck Wild thing do you want to talk about first, Pace? I think that the first thing that we should talk about is the setting of the movie, and that is... Space. Uh, the final well, frontier. The fi- <laughs> yep. Yeah, this, uh, spoiler, this is a Star Trek podcast. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Fucking no, don't tell me. Okay. It's definitely not. Um, so what we should talk about first is how likely is how likely the post-apocalyptic cause of what's happening on Earth is for our own situation. And okay. that's a good thing that we can discuss because we are biologists and uh, that is probably as close to biology the first thing <laughs> that our expertise might lend to. Sean. Yes. How do you think how likely do you think uh, this whole dust bowl atmosphere plants being killed by some unknown type of blight disease is for our future here on this version of earth that we live in now um i find it surprising 
that there will be that there is a widespread disease that is essentially killing all vegetation except for corn doesn't really make sense to me that corn would be like somehow immune to this but it's also kind of wild to me to think of like a disease that attacks like all plants um that apparently people have literally no idea how it works they just burn the infected crops and that's it so i mean it i'm not saying that it's impossible for us to run out of food as a resource i just think that the diseased aspect is a little weird but like i think over farming or something would be more likely you know i don't think they mentioned this but it would have been maybe easier to sell the blight aspect if they had just said that it was um weaponized blight in order to try Mm. and ruin crops Mm. for enemy countries and it's spread but they don't also don't mention how it's vectored because Blight doesn't just spread by plants rubbing against each other, right? Like it's either it's fungus or it's that's bacteria. That's how you make baby plants. Yeah, that's yep, that's right. Uh huh. That's how plants fuck. Totally accurate. Oh, <laughs> but uh, some sort of insect or something would would spread it, uh, and they don't mention that. Probably. So I mean, I think a, a, an easy hand wavy thing they could have said was like, "Oh, um, Czechoslovakia was trying to ruin the day of." Okay, uh, get it. Those are two different countries now. The Czech Republic, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Checo was yep. trying to ruin Slovakia's day. Is Checo okay. the president of the Czech Republic? <laughs> Chester Checo is the president Chester of the Czech Republic. Checo, yeah. dangerously uh. Czech. <laughs> wow. Checked my geography knowledge. My main idea with this is just simply that we have seen a lot of post-apocalyptic situations in film. Sure, it's a very popular theme. I think that the concept of humans over farming the earth and eventually the soil running out of essential nutrients for crop growth actually is that's where I, I mean, I think that's the most natural progression of things. I mean, especially at the rate that the population on the earth is growing now, Mm -hmm. um, it could happen. We're not sure what year this is in. We assume it's maybe like, a hundred years or so in the future. Well, it's implied but... late 21st century, basically. But for the purpose of the movie, it's like an uncurable plant disease that kills everything except corn. Cool. I think we cover that sufficiently enough. Um, we should probably talk about next, and you guys can let me know if you agree, uh, the space travel yeah. that they initiate. We've talked about space travel before. Yeah. And again, this is maybe supposedly using technology that has not been... Uh, yet developed, but what do we think of the space travel methods? They have a version of cryo sleep in this movie. Yeah, where that's the, that was exactly what I was about to say. Yeah, we should talk about where that, they yeah. go into a Ziploc bag that gets dunked in a, <laughs> a coffin filled with water. Essentially, <laughs> it's a Harry Houdini trick, and it's terrifying to look at. Yeah, so, I mean, wouldn't you just drown? I mean, like, I don't understand. I get like that. Obviously, you need to be in a moist environment, but I don't understand the like the need for a submergible Ziploc bag in water. I, I don't get it. So the pruning would I be mean, horrific. <laughs> Have you guys seen the abyss? No, no. Okay. So there's this like, uh, there's this like idea in the abyss where they basically, um, they suspend people in an oxygen rich liquid, like perfluorocarbon basically that allows them to breathe so that they can still exchange oxygen in their lungs. So you just like fill that. That's weird. Yeah. So like the the proposed use basically is that like at least in diving, right? 
um, breathing at incredibly uh, deep depths, you can have problems with like nitrogen narcosis, oxygen toxicity, yeah, things yeah. like that, right? Um, so the idea is that you instead fill your lungs with liquid. So maybe we could pretend they do that and they take yeah, a sure, bath. Yeah, that's definitely what happens. And definitely, sure. definitely what happens. Sure. Whatever, whatever um, it is, obviously we don't have this technology currently because it doesn't look no. like real. Also, like, why put them in a coffin? You know, like maybe just like, I guess they're just fucking killing two birds with one stone there, like in case the mission fails. But yeah, they're just already in a coffin. They're already already yeah. in, a, in a box. Yep. So that is the first thing they do because they have, the wormhole is by Saturn. So they have to fly all the way out to Saturn, which is yes. uh, further than any man has traveled now right now like any Correct. manned flight Correct. so it is uh like inconceivably far if you don't have some sort of like cryo sleep because there's just not enough you can't put enough food on the spaceship like you can't have enough resources yes. to sustain human life so mm-hmm. let's hand wave that this works this cryo sleep works then they get to this wormhole which apparently is put there by some other being is how they justify it so right. Again, I'm not a physicist, but wormholes are theoretically a phenomenon that could occur, right? But from what it's 100 percent theoretical. Yes, it's 100 yes. percent theoretical. Mm-hmm. But from what mm-hmm. I have found by just a cursory research glance is that if this would occur, it is so rare to have a wormhole that would be it's like stable for 10 years that you could just fly back and forth through. A wormhole in general, apparently they're not very stable. They're like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to pretend like I know how they occur or something like that, or they theoretically would, but apparently one of the issues is that wormholes would not be stable, so they would not be around for extended periods of time. So this like lengthy mission is just not reliable. It's not a thing you could really bank on. Yeah, I think the general idea behind wormholes is it's something that is artificially created and temporary because it's, it is not, it is not sustainable and there's a reason for that yeah i also think you'd probably get crushed going through one but i don't really know so <laughs> i'm just gonna like assume that it's fine but yeah <laughs> i guess the, to, to the ex- explanation in the movie of the wormhole is the, the kind of classic ex- example of we thinking of the universe as like a flat piece of paper right um mm. and like to connect two distances that are very, very far apart, you take that piece of paper and you fold it upon itself. And then you take a pencil and you poke it through the paper, basically discounting all of that distance in between the, dis- uh, the area where you folded it. And because we need right? a Thor quote in every episode, you're talking about an Einstein Rosen bridge, Einstein Rosen bridge. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Grab your hammer. <laughs> It's Thor time. Yes. <laughs> I think the, that's I what think they say. The only thing that makes uh, Einstein Rosen bridge is consistent with the with Einstein's like theory of relativity, right? Which, but I think that's it. There, you know, one has never actually been recorded to exist. No, they're they're entirely theoretical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that aside, they go through this wormhole and they get some weird like visual distortions because they're like we're passing through another dimension whoa it's all crazy yeah so then they come (laughs) on the other side of this wormhole completely unscathed and i guess are just looking at this new galaxy that they're in or whatever and they see gargantua as like the 
black hole that is the center of this like solar system that they're at. Yes. So kind of like how the sun is the center of our solar system. Yeah. There's usually a large source of gravity yeah. at the center of other interstellar bodies. Yes, because um, you need them to be rotating. You need them to be orbiting yes. around something. So, And a black hole is a perfectly logical substitute for that. Yeah, so. sure. Uh, well, we get striking visuals because there is a collapsing star, I believe they say, near the near the yes. black hole and so we yes. get to see you know the basically the light of the star bending around the uh event horizon of the black hole uh, because the gravity is so strong that it actually pulls light into it yes. which is something that like i do want to stress home for the viewers like black holes as you get obviously the gravity increases the closer you get to the center of the black hole and there's a certain point called the event horizon where light that is emanating from past the event horizon cannot reach the outside. And I know that seemed kind of jargony, but that means that like if there was light shining within a black hole, you couldn't see it from the outside because the force of gravity is so great that it's affecting the light particles and not even particles, the light energy and keeping it inside the black hole. Yeah. I mean, photons cannot leave basically yeah. past the event horizon right and like yeah. that's a pretty buck wild thing to imagine because like there's gravity on earth right but we don't think of the fact that when we shine like a light somewhere that the gravity is bending the light because it's just not strong enough to to have an effect on light because it's you know very weak relative to that so that is it's really really strong gravity <laughs> out there just slurping up light yeah <laughs> okay great yep. that was a wonderful sound of, okay Yes, so I think the next kind of major event here is that they go to their first planet, right? right? And uh, this is the planet that is basically, like, right... It's very, very closely orbiting Gargantua. Yeah, this is Um, Miller's planet. Miller's planet. Mm -hmm. And they get to this planet, and um, it's a very... It's interesting because uh, there's about, like, six inches of water that is covering the entire surface. Um, At least when they land, yeah. And they land, yes. Uh, as far as they can tell, every, there's water in all directions. Um, and on this planet, there are these waves that are thousands of feet high um, that they initially perceive to be mountains off in the distance. And I think the movie justifies this by saying that this is because of the just massive gravitational pull from Gargantua and how close the planet is to it that you have waves of this size. Mm-hmm. Right. Because on Earth, like, the gravitational pull of the moon affects the tides on the oceans of Earth. So, right. And these are literally called... And the sun, supposedly. Literally um, called tidal forces, right? So, the yeah. and they are representations of the tidal forces on Earth uh, as we experience them. And wa- it's affected by... Our water is affected by it. And the other thing about this is that uh, it would imply that there are... These are the high tides for this planet, right? So the uh, Gargantua is exerting these tidal forces on this planet. As the planet rotates, technically those tidal forces stay in place, right? Because they are they are they are Gargantua as the planet is facing them. I guess you can say is what's causing these giant waves. So yeah. the planet is rotating underneath them. Hence, the giant waves appear to be moving across the surface of the planet, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the thing is, is that, you know, we know at least on Earth, there are two high tides per what, 24 hours, 24 hour period? Yeah, yeah. I think so. And mm-hmm. these tides on this planet are 
two hours apart. No, one hour apart, right? Mm-hmm. So that gives us an idea of how fast this planet is rotating. Okay. I mean, very quickly, it's very, it's very, very close to the center of gravity. Yeah. Um, kind of like how Mercury moves around the sun uh, much faster than Earth does. Mm-hmm. And as you go further out into the solar system, your quote-unquote days are going to be longer and longer and longer. Or not days, your years, quote-unquote years, will be longer and longer yeah. uh, compared to uh, bodies that are closer to the center of gravity. So The yeah. thing that bugged me about the, the waves, and they are very cool and very intimidating. I really like this scene. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. But they are far too spiky in their shape um, to even make sense, even with, like, some made-up gravity, like, exertion that we have Right, here. like, they would just be, like, really wide waves, not mm-hmm. like, like, they would be, like, mountain-sized, not, like, limited width, but infinite height, you know? like Right, they still, they still follow the, uh, the rules of gravity, and, like... The physical properties of water, too. Right, like, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. The, 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 unless the tidal forces, for whatever reason, are extremely narrow, right? Which I can't imagine that they would be. You would end no. up with sloping waves. So. Yeah, I th- yeah, that makes the most sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But that's minutia. So, it is. It's minutia. Yeah, so the main thing with this planet is that, especially for the plot of the stories, when they get down here, right? This is the planet where the time dilation they're experiencing is massive. So... There is a phenomenon in physics that, again, I'm not going to pretend to understand, that if you are exposed to a uh, different, uh, I guess, strength of gravity, then time moves at a different rate for you. Mm, So gravity on Earth is constant, and then gravity on this planet is constant, and they are two different, like, forces different strengths so because there are different strengths time passes differently and in the movie because this planet is so close to the event horizon of the black hole they argue that the gravity is so strong that time is moving extremely slow for them relative to earth so that every hour on this planet is seven years on earth which um sorry to interrupt you but i was gonna say like we actually get two examples of time dilation in the movie so like this is one of them time dilation in the sense of general relativity uh, tells us that clocks that are near a strong gravitational field are going to run more slowly than clocks in a weaker gravitational field and that's what you're describing Mm -hmm. right that in general because gravity can affect the passage of time right Mm -hmm. hence space time um, yep the being on this planet and being so close to a large gravitational force they experience time differently than someone away from it. Right. Yes. Whereas in special relativity, which has significance to them traveling from Earth to this place, clocks that are moving, uh, that are moving, like physically moving in space, run more slowly according to a stationary observer's clock. So if Sean is in a spaceship and he's traveling at half the speed of light and he flies around for what I experience as like maybe three years it is much, much, much shorter for him because he's moving more quickly. Right, right. yeah. So it also has to do with your velocity, too. So Right, it does. which is why it does. in the case of special relativity, whenever they are traveling, they go into cryosleep. Right, exactly. They have to experience time yep. uh, according to their own observations. Yeah. And I, I think that a good way to kind of like bring this down to our level a little bit, this idea of time dilation would be to provide like a real world, real world example. Sure. Um, which I was able to find, and that's that this is a very, very simple and less dramatic 
example, which, by the way, the one in the movie is very, very dramatic, overly, um, overly dramatic, and and probably f- and, and false relative to what would actually be the case. But it looks um, cool. It does look cool. the The ISS, the International Space Station, mm, in school uh, suspension. In it, yep, that's that's the that's the acronym. Um, it go it floats around the Earth, right? And so, approximately every six months that the ISS goes around the Earth. Uh, clocks that are on the ISS lag by 0.007 seconds hey, compared wow. to clocks on Earth. All right. Obviously, that's not as sexy as a big black hole yeah. uh, with a difference of hours and years, but it does exist. Well, and uh, you would expect this because the uh, the ISS is traveling at roughly 17,000 miles an hour. Um, it's very fast. So there's your, there's your uh, I, I believe that would be a case of special relativity and yeah. time dilation. Yeah. Yeah, it would. Cool. Thanks for that pace. Hey, you got it, bro. It's very good. So before we uh, beat this horse to death, I've got one more complaint about this planet. Please, tell me. Tell, tell me, me Kenan. Lay it on me. Lay it on so, me. I'm ready. I realize that it looks super cool to have this planet in the middle of the light that is swirling around this black hole, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the reason why we see this light, okay, is because there is, due to the fact that the black hole has gravity, right? Um, like Saturn, which is a very, very, very big body with high gravity. You see these, like, ice rings around the outside, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. So part of that is because the stuff that is surrounding it cannot deal with the gravitational forces, and it gets sort of shredded over time, right? So weaker things are shredded more easily, and that's why you end up with these, like, uh these like tiny pieces of ice and, and matter just sort of swirling, right? Right. So you the, you end up with the same thing around black holes, basically, right? And this is what's known as uh, an accretion disk, okay? And with a black hole, the gravity is so strong that you end up with radiation and light and things like that doing the same thing around the outside, okay? Because the gravity is that strong. Right, exactly. So with a planet that close is what I'm getting to, is that the planet would be absolutely blasted constantly with high energy radiation, including X-rays, which yeah. like the planet wouldn't be cool with and nobody on it would be cool with. Yeah. Um, and it just wouldn't be there, right? So I obviously didn't do any of these calculations, but you can find online a little bit of like number crunching that sort of works out the safe distance that this planet could be, right? Um, and it's nowhere near where they have it visually. We also don't talk about the fact that when they're traveling to Saturn in cryosleep, they're still being bombarded with just general cosmic rays. Yeah, in they're space. in space for a long time. <laughs> so they're in space for a long time. They're also going to be hit with radiation. But this is like a common thing with every space movie we watch is that people are just yeah. going to be hit with radiation. And everyone's yep. just assuming that we can deal with it at that time. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah. there's this thing we'll get into, I think, when Maddie Mac enters the enter the black hole that's basically called the Roche Limit. Um, and it's this point of disintegration around the outside of a black hole. Um, and when we get into that, we'll get to use one of my favorite words in physics, which is spaghettification. Yeah, well, mm. let's talk about that when he goes in there. Hell yeah. But be- yeah. Before yeah. that, I didn't know where to put this in, but I really want to talk about their plan B, right? Yes, plan B in this instance mm-hmm. is if for some reason we can't solve the gravity equation. Right, <laughs> whatever that then means. We have a bunch of fertilized embryos. And Pace, when, he's, when Pace says a bunch, he means a lot. Yeah. A, a yeah, whole like, lot. Yes, yes. I can't remember if it's in the hundreds or thousands range. but Thousands. Um, 
thousands. It's, yeah, it's a lot of a lot of fertilized embryos in cryo storage, um, which means in liquid nitrogen. Right, exactly. So they just it just means they're frozen, really, really cold temperatures to preserve them. So right. this is all well and good, right? Like you can store fertilized embryos. Sure, like that does that makes sense? Checks out. Um, I guess we'll just move on. What doesn't What doesn't <laughs> check out? Is and this is a theme that we see in movies is people never get cryo storage right ever. So right, in Anne movies. Hathaway in movies in movies uh, multiple times when Anne Hathaway is referring to Plan B, she just pulls out like a big rack of human embryo cells that are just sitting in plates, and she always pulls she pulls them out of cryo storage to just be like, like who we got what I have we got these babies right here, and you're like why ready to go. so this is Which- literally. <laughs> The last hope for preserving humanity, and you're just taking it out to just show someone. So you're taking it out of its frozen condition just to be like, hey, check these out. We got all these embryos. Like, like, kudos to Anne Hathaway, because I assume, based on the context, that she's a physicist. She has a a lot of parts in the movie where she talks about physics and speaks with a, with a point of authority, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, sure. There don't exist many people who... When, when you ask what they do, they're like, oh, I'm a scientist. I know about fucking everything. Well, except us, because that's the point of our show, right? Yeah, but, yeah, sure, but we, we don't do. at all, so. <laughs> no, we don't. Not even a little bit. So what I really wanted in this movie was a point where multiple times when Anne Hathaway pulls out these pre-fertilized frozen human embryos out of cryo storage, a, like, biologist who works in the laboratory comes up behind her and is like, no, stop, 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 stop. Stop, stop, stop. Put it back. back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> stop. Yeah. Also, fuck these up. I know this is the minutia, right? But when you put stuff in liquid nitrogen, so what it looks like she's pulled out are agar plates, which I don't know if any of you listeners have ever seen an agar plate, but it's what people use to culture like bacteria. So it's literally just like a small Petri dish or a plate, like a plastic plate. And it has this like growth medium in it that looks like a gel for which like stuff can grow on top of. You isolate it from seaweed and it forms this like basically yeah gel. it forms like a gel yeah. and it's got some nutrients in it and stuff um this one would not be used for these embryos and also plates aren't sealed so if you put them in liquid nitrogen the liquid nitrogen will get inside the plates and it will kill all the cells like you need to, them to be in a sealed container surrounded by liquid nitrogen so like the storage vessel is not appropriate for what they're doing but that is very minutiae no, so not. It's not. It should be. It should be in a twist-off vial. Twist-off vial of cells yeah. will not allow the entrance of liquid nitrogen. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But um, I don't want to bore our listeners with too much biology minutia. I mean, I fucking <laughs> talked about an accretion disk for like three minutes, so I think you're okay. Yeah, yeah, I guess. It's just like it's just funny to me because we. It's like a common thing to work with cells in labs for us all the time. And we just have vials of cells. Pace actually gave me a vial of cells the other a few weeks ago to use, which thank you for those. They were very useful. But like, yeah, how those how those grow in real They're well awful. Free? They're terrible they, cells, but it's okay. I froze them. Oh, that hurts. <laughs> they're just really, they're really slow. They're really really slow cells. So yeah, what are you gonna do? But it's okay. What are you gonna, what are you gonna do? do? Um, but they're frozen in a vial. So anyways, I it's just interesting because we work with that stuff every day. Um, so I think the next thing we have to go to is the journey to the. Center, center, of the, of the, yeah. center of the earth <laughs> into the black hole. Yeah, Brendan Fraser uh, just shows up and is like, let's fucking do this. To, hey, to see Nessie in the swamp. Yep. Um, yeah, those are... Never mind. Yep. That's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, 
basically what happens is that they they don't have enough fuel to get back to the wormhole um let alone back to earth what they're they 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 plan to go back to, to, to go to the last potential planet option um but maddie mac tricks natalie portman because he's only 90 percent on uh, that's anne hathaway not natalie portman wow oh my god they're the same human <laughs> no they're the same no, no, human no no, 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 no okay not. um but anyway maddie mac jumps into the black hole and along with tars one of the robots uh, because they're going to get the last piece of data uh that they need to solve the gravity equation of course at this point I would say this is one of the points in the film where all hell breaks loose. Essentially, Maddie Mac is in a situation where he has entered the fifth dimension and all he sees around him are bookshelves and he's floating around uh, like a jellyfish. Yeah. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Kenan is going to talk about spaghettification in a second, but I wanted I wanted wait, to first wait. say, right, the whole reason, like which we talked about before, that like light cannot escape a black hole, right? Because it's so the force is so strong that it's affecting the energy of light. So TARS the whole time is like, I'm transmitting data, but it's not leaving the black hole. And you're like, yeah, no shit. Like that's to help black holes work. Things that's like, can't get out. That's a defining feature of a black hole. Yes. But somehow, even though he's transmitting communications via radio waves, Maddie Mac McConaughey, while they're in a black hole is picking it up. So the gravity should be even stronger. The closer they get to the center point of the black hole, but mm-hmm. somehow the black hole isn't bending the radio waves that are reaching Maddie Mac. Like, they're leaving TARS. It doesn't make any sense. I think there's some implication that, like... I mean, obviously, this is the point of the movie where all hell breaks loose in regards to science. Um, mm-hmm. Because there's some implication that, like, the center of the black hole is a room or something. Um, yeah. And he and TARS are both in the same room. Yeah, it's just weird. Yeah, it, like, basically... We get what's known as a tesseract, which you can just Google and find pictures of, but it's a geometric representation of five dimensions, basically, right? Like, and they're supposedly inside of this thing, and I think it's supposed to be, like, where the black hole leads, and us from the future built it so that Maddie Mac can send a message back in time. That's what the movie wants you to think. Yes. Yes. It's bullshit. Um, Yeah, of course. No, there's no... no like reason to think or, or rationale as to this why this would even be we don't know what's in a black hole love. like it's it's uh, well well okay you can say love in a lot of things uh love is love is in my nose Patient. and in my microphone too kind um so yeah mm-hmm. no the maddie mac told me pace love is in the black hole that's mm-hmm. what he says maddie mac is the authority on love and black holes so um i believe you yeah i think that you're you're definitely right love is a flat circle Mm-hmm. Love is a flat circle, just, just like, like time, time and the Earth. Yes. So we can't talk about it. We can't talk about what they experience in the black hole because there's no science to back it up. Yeah, so. but Kenan, what's spaghettification? You brought up this term, and all I pictured was uh, the spaghetti. I'm really hungry too. I so. just pictured the spaghetti um, guy just popping out and going spaghetti. <laughs> so spaghetti. <laughs> so basically, this. So I, I mentioned title forces. Title forces earlier, right? Mm-hmm. It's this idea that. A black hole has such insane gravity, right? Because it is huge, but it's also very, very compact. So this is this idea of density, right? Like the more dense something is, it can have gravity, but also the more massive something is, that also contributes to gravity, okay? So when you're going into a black hole, your feet are a little bit closer than your head is, or like the front of you is a little bit closer than the back of you is. Um, but the closer you get to a black hole, the stronger the gravitational pull is inch by inch, 
a far distance away from the black hole, you experience basically sort of a washed out version of gravity. And you could like maybe orbit, orbit it like you would a planet. Okay. But the closer you are, the distance uh, over which those gravitational forces are distributed becomes much shorter and shorter and shorter. So basically, if you fall in feet first, your feet are experiencing much, much stronger gravity than your head is. Okay. So this would physically rip you apart. And it's called spaghettification because as you get closer to the center of the black hole, you would get pulled out into these long spaghetti-like strands that would just tear you to pieces. Yeah, I mean, by the way, you w- wouldn't survive going into a black hole. No. Yeah, that's exactly what happened to Maddie Mac. He turned into spaghetti. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's why the movie is very realistic into in a regards to the science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and then ta- and then Tars ran over and just like sprinkled some Parmesan. Some Parmesan. Jeez. And then he ate it. Yep. <laughs> yep. And he was like spaghetti, spaghetti. Well, that is that is interesting. That is a pretty gruesome terminology for that phenomenon. But yeah, it's I fucked mean, up, dude. <laughs> I guess it's normally it's probably thinking of like any object, not necessarily a living individual, just like any object that has some mass. So yeah, right. It's even like I mean, like that happens on Earth, right? Like technically, our feet are experiencing more gravity than our head, but it's so yeah. negligible that it's my. It's basically from a realistic standpoint, the exact same force. Right. And I gave the example of like Saturn and uh, other planets that have rings earlier. And that's another real life example, right? Like you can have large moons around these planets because the amount of gravity that is, is exerted on them at that distance is not, you, you don't have a gravitational discrepancy that far away, but when you get closer, those heavenly bodies are torn to shreds. And that's why you end up with these rings because these tidal forces are pulling them apart. And that's kind of spaghettification in action. You just end up with like ice and rocks because at that point they're so small that individually they're experiencing gravity the same way. Cool. Correct. Too much science. Someone make a dick joke. Oh, sorry. Um, What did Dick say to uh, uh, cheese Mm -hmm. pizza? Oh, good, 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 good. Cheese pizza. Okay. Sorry. You know what, Kenan? Just cut that. I couldn't think of a joke. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, it's time to rate this bitch. Baby, baby. Very good. Who is going to go first? That was all. All right. Who's going to go first? Get your dice. All right. Look at you. A three? Pace, are you using a digital dice roller? I rolled a three. Go get it right now. Fucking millennials. I know, right? Avocado toast ruining the napkin industry. Yeah, dude. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Buy some land, um, Pace. Huh? Nothing. Go ahead. <laughs> I got a 14. All right, I got a 17, so I'm going first, baby. Do it. All right. <laughs> Avocado toast is good, though. Avocado toast right. is good. Yeah. Um. So as far as the science goes, we have talked about a shitload of science, so I'm going to sweep all of that sure, discussion under sure, sure. the rug, and I'm going to give it a five. Uh, wow. Because I feel like the last movie that we had that scored this high was The Martian. And I think it deserved it. I'm going to say it gets a five, but it goes right under The Martian. Okay. Which I can't decide it goes right under Contagion or not. But one of those two has better science. I just don't remember. So okay. I'm going to give it a five. I'm going to give it a four for entertainment because 
Everything was super sweet until he entered the bookcase Tesseract and started talking about how love is the greatest force in the universe. Yeah. And that was uh, really took me out of the mood, Maddie Mac. Anne Hathaway was saying that too, halfway through the film. She sure was. Mm -hmm. She was. So who's next, Pace? I will go for the science. Do it. I'm I'm gonna give it a science five out of five because of mostly the sheer effort that they went into portraying science accurately in this film. Yeah. Um they do a very, very good job. And they also did their homework in regards to getting an actual reliable science advisor for the film. Uh the science advisor uh, what was, I think his name is Kip Thorne. Um, he acknowledges uh, purposefully where the science strays from reality, um, but he also acknowledges a reason for that. And the reason for that is because he designed some of these aspects of the science of the film to draw people into science and get people interested so that they pursue careers in science. Cool. Um, and I think that's a noble thing to do. It's a noble ambition. Yeah, so, that rules. Um, I'm give it a five, five out of five for the science. Um, I'm going to give it a five out of five for entertainment, hey. too. I think this is a very, very good movie. And uh, this was the beginning of beginning of Maddie Max really uh, a shift in his career where he was started making really high-quality films. He's a very good actor. The action was great. Um, and I really enjoyed it. So, bada-bing, bada-ba. Yeet. Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> that snaps. That snaps. <laughs> All right. I have some uh, opposing opinions from you two. I am honestly kind of shocked that you both give the science five out of five. Because while I think that intentions are great, people put work into trying to make the science accurate, I want to not rate the movie based on people's intentions and actually rate it on like what the science was like in the movie. Okay. I think there are like major aspects like... Yes, there are time dilations. They're majorly exaggerated. There's a bookshelf in the center of the black hole. He would die. It doesn't make any sense. They have this, like, made-up form of cryosleep. They don't talk about how they deal with radiation in space. There's, like, a disease that's killing plants that, like, no one knows anything about. I think there's a lot of stuff with the science, which they don't talk about, you know, how these embryos are going to be preserved from all the radiation in space. Um... And I think the waves are depicted bad. So I think there's a lot of stuff that is visually cool and makes the movie entertaining, but is not scientifically accurate. And if I'm going to base my rating off accuracy, I'm going to give it like a three out of five for the entertainment. Yes, please. I'm going to give it I'm going to give it a four out of five. I like this. So I had already watched this movie before um, we watched it for the recording, and I remember enjoying it a lot more the first time around. Um, it's not that it's not still good. Like, I still liked it. I did, as much as, like, we know that Matthew McConaughey can be a good actor, right? Like, we've seen him in Dallas Buyers Club. We did it on the show. It was great. I really hate how he, like, loudly whispers everything he says God, all the time in this entire movie. It kind of, like, rasp, it's rasp. like he's... It's like he's got like the seductive smolder going the yeah, whole time. And it's like, disease. I don't understand why he was doing <laughs> it. But anyway, so I'm going to give it a four out of five because I thought the ending was a little, little phoned in. But, you know, it was still entertaining. There's some cool concepts in the movie that yeah. are visually and like for plot wise. No, exciting. I know you hated it. So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to stop right, talking. All right, let's move on to <laughs> listener, listener questions. questions. We got a first one from Twitter. And that is from Tori Mackle. Thank you, Tori. Um, and this is a very, very complicated question. Oh, shit. Hit me. Uh, if you nut in space, <laughs> ellipses, okay. 
it push you backward? <laughs> okay, listen. Great. We're not going to chomp the macaroni flavor here, but it's a very good question. I do appreciate the reference. I just want to say, if anybody is an engineer or rocket scientist, help us work this out and just tell us and we'll answer it on the show. Because I, as near as I can figure, uh, semen leaves your body at approximately <laughs> 28 miles per hour and the average human is about 65 kilograms, right? Um, that's a hundred... 20 something approximately yeah. something mm-hmm. so yep. i don't know I, it's like 150 i assume that if it's a uh an impulse a quick burst of you leaving you um then you would travel backwards Ugh. at i guess like 28 miles an hour <laughs> i don't know if it's uh, because there's no opposing forces right, right. so Not 14 miles an hour there's no <laughs> there's no gravity so if you're in a vacuum yeah. if you're in a vacuum the, the vacuum yes, space. it would push you backward. Yes. Why are we... Okay, yes, it would push you, you backward. Can you still come in a vacuum, though? Okay. All right. Oh, Next shit, question. I don't know. Okay, we should move on. <laughs> Next um, question. Yes, please. From Facebook. Um, okay, so we have multiple questions from uh, Facebook, which... Thank you, everybody who asked us questions. Uh, the first one, I guess I'll read this question. It's from uh, Doug Miller. I would call him enemy of the show, yeah. Doug Miller. <laughs> I would say enemy of the show, he, too. He enjoys asking... Uh, kind of eclectic questions. So I'm going to read this. So it says, In Inter- Interstellar, they utilize landers to move to the Endurance ship. How similar are those to Gordon's flying machine used to land on Lovelace's giant mechanical spider in the film Wild Wild West? Also, when are you going to do Wild Wild <laughs> West? So Doug, thank you for your question. Um, I don't remember enough details about Wild Wild West to answer this, and I can pretty much say that we are never going to do wild wild west on <laughs> this show not at all similar to either or to one another uh gordon's flying machines follow like early principles of flight utilizing mechanical motion transferred uh directly behind the craft and then using wings much like an airplane wing to drive the craft upwards whereas these rely on actual chemical propellant in order to propel themselves so fascinating yeah, stuff completely fascinating stuff uh, we're also not so, going to do Wild Wild West. Our second question from Facebook is from Jess Dillon. Also known as uh, um, JD. Also known as JD. Friend of the podcast. JD, JD. Friend of the show. Thank you for your question. So this question, actually a good one, reads, What logic is there in trying to establish a colony in planets orbiting a black hole? Why does every planet have sunlight with no sun? Um, and then... Uh, Jess says, "Fun one. You could use if you could use gravity to communicate across time. What would you say to and who?" Oh, so let's shit. do the the logical question first, okay. and then we'll do the uh, gravity I time. I might have message. this. Okay, hit us. Okay, go pace. Do it. The answer to this question is that there is no logic in trying to establish a colony on a planet that orbits a black hole for reasons that we discussed, like the radiation, right? The X rays. Uh, everything would get uh would would die on a planet that was orbiting a black hole especially that closely right yes yeah i mean you, so you need a source of heat and light um there is light around the black hole in the in in gargantua like there's a disk of light around it so i don't know presumably this is supposed to be enough light to sustain the planets but it's also a collapsed star so i don't really understand how a collapsed star would put out enough heat to warm these planets like it doesn't really make much sense Mm -hmm. to me but yeah so i think the the logic is that 
it's not logical. And that's a great question because I didn't even think about it when I was watching yeah. the movie. Yeah. Then, fun one. Mm-hmm. If you could use gravity to communicate across time, what would you say to and who? What would you say and to mm-hmm. who? This is a tough one, boys. Sean, do you have one ready to go? Can inf- oh, across time? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I don't. I read the question so that I wouldn't have to answer first. Oh, that's fair. So, <laughs> I mean, I can go ahead and go yeah. because mine is very straightforward. Oh, perfect. Um, Let's hear it. Kevin. I would uh, dial in my uh, gravity phone to uh november 1st 1994 and i assume las vegas uh in order to communicate with george lucas and tell him no the movie's going to be bad please god don't make it um and then we'd never have to deal with the prequels <laughs> oh man oh oof. that's a good use of a gravity mm-hmm. phone yeah. oof. fucking stop he wouldn't would, would he listen though? no he wouldn't but at least someone would have tried <laughs> I hope to God that someone tried. But anyways, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one, Kenna. It's a good one. Um, I would... I would defer to Pace so that I wouldn't have to think of what to say. <laughs> so, So Pace, you're saying that you would use it to to go back in time... And give yourself a suggestion. Tell, yeah. No, no, I'm saying <laughs> right now I'm deferring to you while I still think so. No, I think yours is you would, uh, you would call yourself a couple... I'd call myself... Like a week ago. Right. Oh, sorry guys, I'm getting a phone call. <laughs> oh shit! Oh, your gravity you phone. From the future? Yeah. Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Hello. What do you mean you're you're me? <laughs> but I'm. But, but how? I'm, me. I'm right here. So you're saying you would use it to call yourself while? Couldn't you have called me ten minutes? All right, never mind. I'm not going to worry <laughs> about it. Uh, thanks for the call. I got to go. I'm in the middle of recording, <laughs> as you know. Bye. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess that's what I what I've used my phone okay, call for. Okay, perfect. Well, that was, that was good. Mm-hmm. Pace? Pace, I'm having a really hard time with this of whether it should be a selfish or like a humanitarian. Just be answer, selfish, you know. Who cares? Yeah, dude, just come on. Come I mean, on, mine was it. humanitarian, uh, so why don't you be selfish? I no, no, I have, I have my, I have my answer. Okay, I have my answer. Well, this will help you, Pace. Okay, all right. It's not just one phone call. You have a gravity yeah. phone, oh, so you shit, can call someone right. else yeah. too. The first so thing just... that I would do uh, would be to call myself. Mm-hmm back uh the last time that i was visiting north carolina and tell myself not to forget my swimsuit because i have a very good navy swimsuit that's a good pattern on it and i haven't been able to wear it for like three months because i forgot it and i've been really (laughs) sad about that um that is a great use of swimsuit phone call yeah i mean it's it's really important and then uh i don't know i'd probably i'd probably end up trying to use it to like kill hitler i don't know solve solve global warming or something Mm -hmm. Um, cool cool yeah yeah you know what Kenan how about you read our last question yeah so this question was sent in by uh, onto the podcast Lynn Davis um, and it says I am no means by by any means a scientist so please explain when they were living in their new space station home the kids were playing ball and broke the window on the upside down house are people inside the house on their ceiling how can they be upside down like that and not be on the ceiling while the kids are up white playing ball that's a great fucking question. And it is a good question. I think so. I was thinking about this earlier, and the only way that I have to hand wave it is that whatever the fuck the solution to the gravity equation was allows them to now create artificial gravity inside the tube that they were living in. Yes. Okay. Pace and I, while you were actually getting a glass of water, Pace and I also came to that conclusion 
but we also discussed this maybe it's like a spinning centripetal force oh, style yeah. like space yeah. station I mean, well because we've seen artificial gravity created before in the martian and this movie it was in this in this in this movie yep. and obviously you 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 do that by creating that centripetal force by just spinning constantly um and if you were able to leave the uh the, the force vector that was um, that, that was established for that, that that was controlling that ball that was hit by the mm. bat but those kids um, and were able to get to the center of in this case the source of gravity it has to be the center of the cylinder that they're traveling in their space station mm. it would then enter a new force vector and then it could get pulled towards the house because that's also how on the quote unquote ceiling of it gravity is also being simulated by that centripetal force, mm. right? Right. So uh, you're just entering a new field of right. gravity? Yeah, basically there's like, the field of gravity is not being applied on like a flat surface. It's like right. going right. out from the center of this tube. So if you can get it, if you can hit the ball far enough, I guess that's how it would work. Right. But Yeah, you'd have to hit it pretty far though because that was a huge space station. Yeah, it's a big space station. Like there's like a whole town in there. Like you would have to hit that ball pretty insanely far. And we see so. this principle yeah. in science fiction a lot, the one that you're describing in, uh, I don't know, Halo, for instance. Uh, that mm-hmm. too. And also what I'm pretty sure Halo is based off of, which is the Larry Niven science fiction series Ring World, where everybody is on the interior mm. of a ring, it's spinning around, and that creates its own artificial gravity. Although how right. that plays into the gravity with the sun that it's orbiting, I don't know. But I guess that's not important. That's a good point. It's a good point, though. Hell yeah. yeah. Um, is that right. it? Thank you for the question. Thank you for the questions. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, thank um, you. So. A little bit of housekeeping now. A little bit of housekeeping. Yep. First, we need to give a shout out to Brett Palashok. Palashok. Colloquial, colloquial, re- colloquially referred to as Dr. Papooch. Dr. Papooch. Uh, because Brett donated to our Patreon. So we really want to thank Brett. Uh, thank you for supporting the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah. And yeah. And actually, Brett, because you are above our first tier, you should send us an email with three movie suggestions. And anyone else who is above our first tier on our Patreon, which you can go check out by going to patreon.com and searching for Real Science Cast. Uh, check out the first tier that we have up now, and you'll see that you should be able to, if you are a patron, should be able to send us an email with three movie suggestions. We'll pick the most feasible one, and we will watch it. Yep. And give you know, a good old shout yep. out. Oh my god, you know what I just realized, guys? What? <laughs> Doug is definitely going to suggest Wild Wild Yeah, but he can't he suggest it three times. And, That's the thing. But then, That's the thing. But then he'll but we, pick two worse movies, arguably. Yep. We and built then... we built in the Doug clause for our Patreon. It's to eliminate <laughs> Wild Wild West from the queue of movies. And hopefully there haven't been like direct to DVD versions of Wild Wild West 2 and Wild Wild West 3. <laughs> oh god, Kenan, we got to stop. We're giving Doug too many ideas. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh so Brett, thank you again thank you, and thank you to all of the patrons who do- donate to our show. Yep. And if you want to help um, us out, like I said, just follow the link as we as I just detailed and uh yeah, we're going to try and build bigger and better things. We have two goals on there right now. The first one is to get us a lot of uh, better recording equipment. I am currently recording on my blue microphone that is standing on my glass desk with a comforter hanging over my second monitor behind it to help dampen the sound. So, uh, Yeah, um, I'm recording in a closet yep. and using a nightstand as a desk. Yep. <laughs> um, and you're using Apple headphones, I think, to record? I'm using Apple headphones... Uh, and my blue, I am using also my, my blue snowball microphone, okay. um, but which is not the best for unidirectional recording. So and Sean, are you still chip clipping your audio foam together? 
Uh, no, I have it precariously stacked on top of the microphone. I have <laughs> oh, like, good. I have good. a bunch of foam squares that I've built a sort of microphone cave out of, and I'm just speaking into that right now. Okay, I'd so like to visit that cave. Definitely help us out if you can, and uh, we'll try and get some better recording equipment. And then we have a second goal that is a little bit loftier, but hopefully we can get to it. We're going to start um, offering some bonus content. So we already have ideas, and we have sections on what we record. We could re- uh, release these a couple times a month or at least once a, once a month and patrons would have access to those exclusively. So Right. And if, you know, if you look at those goals and you're like, oh, these seem kind of, you know, a little far-fetched, you know, don't worry about it. We're still going to make the show, yep. but it's just we don't want to spend the time making bonus content for no one to listen to it. So we yeah. just want to make sure we have a large donation base before we do this. Right. We want to know that people um, are into it. And you can increase that number by just telling as many people as you can about it. Uh, and if they like the show, maybe yes. they'll help us out. Yes. Exactly. We do not pay uh, to advertise this show. No. Not not yet. I'm looking at that billboard though, guys. I'll let oh, you know. Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so Yeah. And oh, and actually while we're at it, uh, if you are you know, if you draw and you like to make art and you want to help us out, we could use uh, people to contact us and, and let us know and maybe we could uh, hit you up for some art for our show. Yeah. Yes. Um another important note to make is that this is our 26th episode. Hell yeah. And given that we create an episode every two weeks, conceive an episode, this means that we have been doing this show for one year, dudes. Yeah. Wow. One year. This is our anniversary. Yeah, happy happy podcast birthday. (laughs) Real Science is one year old. And that is why Um, we decided to do Interstellar, because people have been asking us to do this movie for basically since we started the podcast and we kept saying no bookshelves in space don't exist but <laughs> you know what thank you for as a thank you for listening to us for the past year we went ahead and did it anyways yes thank you very much guys you are the people who keep the wheels from falling off yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely hell yeah uh, we are sincerely appreciative to everyone who has listened to the show and told their friends about it and uh hopefully more of that happens absolutely yeah thank, thank you, you. Um, so I think we should announce what movie we're going to watch yet, uh, next time. Yes. And Sean, I think you helped us narrow it down. So why don't you uh, do the honors? Yes. Next week we are going to be watching the army of the 12 monkeys, Hell which yeah. is a Bruce Willis, Brad Pitt, futuristic sci-fi time travel virus outbreak movie. <laughs> I don't know if I hit all the bullet points there, but I, I feel say, like it was pretty good. That hits, that hits so many fronts that um, I'm yeah. so happy for. So multiple, man, I don't know off top of my head who specifically has suggested this movie, but we definitely had multiple people suggest this movie to us. I believe it was via Twitter a while ago. Um, So this has been on the list for a while and, you know, we're finally getting to it. So let's wrap (laughs) this bad boy up. My name is Kenan Smith. My name is Sean Crossan. I am Michael Pace. Remember, guys, you don't need good science to make a good movie. Yep. I don't understand basically how it falls to us and works in space. So basically, if you ejaculate, yes. uh, the average speed of human semen leaving a dick is 28 miles an hour. Okay, it's pretty fast. Um, and the average human is about 65 kilograms. So I'm trying to figure out basically like how impulse thrust works. Um, because like if you assume that you come for only like 
I want to say like five seconds. Are we really going to answer this question? 